Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning, Crosspoint. How are you? Before I have the distinct privilege to introduce our guest preacher, let me say, first of all, thank you to all of you that helped with our VBS this past week. What a week we had. We had several hundred children filling this room and this whole church all through the week. And our children's ministry director, Kristen Wise, and the MC of the whole production, Chris McGuire, who uh, he read our call to worship this morning along with a host of volunteers, put on a wonderful VBS where children heard the gospel and parents were encouraged. So praise the Lord. Thank you. If you volunteered in any way, this was a month, several months long prior to process. Praise the Lord. Thank you, volunteers. And I checked, Kristen Wise is still alive. She survived the week. So praise God. Yes. Friends, it is, is my great pleasure to introduce our guest preacher, Dr. Conrad Mbewe, who will be preaching this morning. And then again tonight for an evening service at 6 p.m. where we are inviting several other sister churches to join us. Of course, our church plant, uh, Midtree Church, along with uh, St. Andrew's Presbyterian and, and Westminster Presbyterian and then Berean Covenant Church. So please do come out again tonight and join us for a time around God's Word to hear from this dear servant again. And also, after he preaches tonight, we'll have an opportunity to do some, some Q&A. So I encourage you to come back out this evening. Dr. Conrad Mbewe has served as pastor of Kabwada Baptist Church in Lusaka, Zambia, his home country, and Lusaka being the capital there of Zambia since 1987. Under his leadership, KBC has helped to plant and establish some, maybe more than this now, but as of a few years ago, some 20 new Reformed Baptist churches in Zambia and other surrounding African countries. He also has established a Bible college out of his church that helps to train pastors, and then also a university, African Christian University, where he is a guest lecturer. So we thought VBS was a busy week. How about pastoring a church and having a Bible college and a university out of, out of your church? More importantly, he and his wife, Felistus, have been married for about 30 years and have six children and several grandchildren, I believe. Many of you certainly are familiar with Pastor Mbewe as he maintains a very busy international itinerant preaching ministry here in the U.S. as well and is well known for preaching at faithful conferences that I have heard him preach at like the Gospel Coalition, the Cross Conference, and the Shepherds Conference at John MacArthur's Church in California. Now all of this may lead you to ask, how in the world did we get him to come to Crosspoint? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. One of our elders, Ruben Moyana, who is also from Africa, although not Zambia, but the neighboring Zimbabwe, struck up a friendship with Pastor Mbiwe several years ago and asked me a while back at one of our elder meetings several years ago. He said, hey, Brad, I know Conrad Mbiwe. How about I invite him to come preach at Crosspoint? And I remember thinking, well, of course, invite him. Sure, Ruben, that would be wonderful. In the back of my mind thinking, there's no way that Conrad Mbiwe is coming to Crosspoint. Oh, me of little faith. Well, here he is. So thank you, Reuben, for inviting this dear brother. In addition to preaching this morning and tonight at 6 p.m., we have invited local pastors and Bible teachers to a seminar tomorrow here at Crosspoint where Pastor Mbewe will be speaking to local Bible teachers and pastors, and we have a, a large crowd coming, about 80 or so local Christian leaders and Bible teachers from all across the denominational stripes and theological streams, and we are very excited about that time. So please do pray for fruit tomorrow as he ministers to these local Christian leaders. Crosspoint family, it is my joy to have this dear brother minister God's word to us this morning and this evening. So please join me in welcoming to Crosspoint Pastor Conrad Mbewe. Thank you. Well, brethren, it's a, a real joy for me to be with you on this occasion. As you just heard, it's been a few years um, 
since we first talked about this possibility and finally the Lord has opened the door and I want to assure you I'm very glad to be here. So let me thank the leaders of this church for inviting me. I want to repeat, it's a real joy for me to be with you. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Job and chapter 4. Job and chapter 4. While you're turning there, um, I'll give a bit of introduction. If you've been a Christian long enough, you will know that there is nothing more painful for you as a believer than to have a near-perfect life that you have been forging for yourself, especially based on biblical principles, that suddenly begins to fall apart like dominoes. It, it bothers you that that which you have believed in from God's word, you have um, followed it with mathematical precision, seems now to spin out of control completely. And you, you begin invariably to ask yourself the question, is that what I have believed in uh, a lie? It may be, for instance, that um, it's, 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 a, it's a marriage that is, is falling apart. You, you've, you've done what you could. You, you've humbled yourself before your, your partner. You have pleaded. You have confessed your sins. You've, you, you've done what you could, but clearly uh, this is drawing to a close. It might be a child whom you have loved, you have raised, you've poured everything into that child's life, but going through the difficult teenage years, the, the child has become stubbornly rebellious and done everything that you can speak about as being wrong and hurt the, the family in every conceivable way. It could be your business uh, that might be collapsing. Again, you've, you've thrown in your best. You've done everything you could. And then some economic decisions that have been made, perhaps at state level or national level, uh, result in changes that uh, cause your business to, uh, to collapse. It may be your health. Uh, you've done everything you could to, uh, to be healthy. Uh, you, you've been to the gym as many times as anyone uh, can ever claim to. And, and yet a visit to a doctor with what you thought was a mere headache results in news that uh, lays you prostrate for, for such a long time uh, to come. In many ways, that's, that was Job's story that we find in this book. Uh, if you've read the first chapter, you know that he had a, an almost perfect life. He, he had everything figured out. Even, even God boasted about him. He was an individual who ensured that uh, in case his children sinned against God, he would consequently um, offer a sacrifice on their behalf to make sure that the favor of God, the blessing of God, is maintained within the family. And no doubt about it, God did bless him. Well, as we know, things began to fall apart. He didn't know what was happening behind the curtains. But he lost his wealth, he lost his children, he lost his health. And consequently, by the time we reach chapter, 11, chapter 3, rather, Job has just about had enough. And consequently, he enters into a period of complaining. He asks serious Hot questions, some of which we will come to look at in a moment. And then 
his friends who come to visit him for a while just look at what's going on in absolute unbelief until Eliphaz speaks. And it is what he says at the beginning of chapter 4 that I want us to read together. Job 4, we'll just read the first six verses from the English Standard Version. The Bible says, Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet who can keep from speaking? Behold, you have instructed many, and you've strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways, your hope? Clearly, as I've already said, Eliphaz was one of three friends that initially, upon coming to visit Job, the, what they saw was so appalling that they couldn't speak. The Bible says for, for seven days they just sat there in utter shock and unbelief, sorrowing in a sense with him. But what Eliphaz really means in that uh, second verse when he says, yet who can keep from speaking, is that Job had begun to say quite a number of things that would amount to questioning the wisdom of God. And it's that which caused this man to finally say, I cannot keep quiet any longer, let me speak. For instance, he says in verse 11 of the previous chapter, this is Job speaking, Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Verse 12, Why did the knees receive me, or why the breasts that I should be nursed? Now, as you know, when you begin asking God the why questions, you are really saying, God, I'm doubting your wisdom. How on earth could you allow such a thing to happen? And those are the kind of questions he was asking. He says, for instance, in verse 16, Oh, why was I not as a hidden, stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? Verse 20, Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul? Verse 23, why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Why are you doing this, O oh God? It doesn't make sense to me. And as the why questions were multiplying, this friend of Job, Eliphaz, begins to feel as though silence is conspiracy in evil. He felt, I better speak. And that's how he opened his mouth and began to speak. Friends, let's not be too quick to point fingers at Job. Because under intense and prolonged pressure, we can all come and stuck. A trial that lasts a day or two, Often, we come out as those who are full of faith. But when we are thrown into the furnace and the pressure builds and days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months, then what Job went through, we also begin to go through. We begin to question God. 
And therefore, the words of Eliphaz here are words that we also may need to hear because they could be food for our souls as well. So what is it that Eliphaz ultimately says to Job in this section of Scripture? Clearly, these words are words of wisdom. But if you know anything concerning Eliphaz, you will realize that although he begins on such a good note, in due season, he loses the plot. <laughs> the next time he shows up in, in chapter 15, he, he's responding to uh, Job's apparent self-justification. It gets under his skin, as it were. And so he rebukes Job. The next time he shows up is in chapter 22. But by that time, uh, Job has uh, really reached a point where he is now saying the exact opposite of God's moral law. And it is the fact that, in fact, it is the wicked that are getting blessed by God and not the righteous. I mean, Job is clearly upset. Let's just read a little bit from there um, in, in uh, Job chapter 21. In Job chapter 21, you, you have uh, Job now uh, removing all stops, as it were. Job 21. He says, keep listening to my words and, and let this be your comfort. Bear with me and I will speak. And after I have spoken, mock on. He's, he's saying to all his three friends there. As for me, is my complaint against man? Why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be uphold and lay your hand over your mouth. When I remember, I am dismayed and shuddering seizes my flesh. And then he begins to ask those why questions again. Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence, and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is upon them. Their bull breeds without fail, their cow calves and does not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock, and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and the lure, and rejoice to the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity, and in peace they go down to Sheol. They say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if we pray to him, behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? The counsel of the wicked is far from me. Let's go to the last verse. He says there, how then will you comfort me with empty nothings? There's nothing left of your answers but falsehood. That's a man who's reached the point where he will say almost anything to you. And it's possible to reach those extremes as a believer, whereby the friends that have come to speak to you, you now literally want to send them away. They feel as though they've hit a blank wall. What causes a person to reach such levels? Well, first of all, back to our text, the difficulty with Job was not that he lacked knowledge. And even the Christian we're speaking about, it's not so much that you don't know and consequently somebody needs to come and, and instruct you, give you knowledge. Clearly, that was not the case with respect to Job, we notice in verse 3 and verse 4 of our text that Eliphaz is saying to him, 
Behold, you've instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. In other words, Job, you have helped others. That's why I've entitled my sermon, Physician, Heal Yourself. You've been able to strengthen other individuals by sharing with them the truth of God. So yours is not an issue of ignorance. Now the first few chapters when you read them, you don't get that out of those passages. What you, you see is Job's godly life. You also see something of his family life. You also see quite a bit concerning the wealth that he had. What you do not see in those earlier chapters is that he was a real benefactor to the people around him. He was a wise man who entered into the lives of others in order to help them. Indeed, many an individual blessed God that Job lived. Because in their own moments of weakness and trials, Job showed up, shared with them God's word, and consequently encouraged them. Could that be true of you as well? That it's not so much the fact that you are ignorant of God and his ways, that there are individuals around you, in the home, in the workplace, in your community, into whose lives you have poured godly wisdom, and consequently they are what they are today because of you. They thank God that you have been in their lives. So it's not ignorance. It's something else. And that's what I want us to consider together now. Could it be that it's the ongoing pressure that finally causes you to come unstuck. In other words, the perplexity is more a failure for you to, as it were, take your own medicine. You fail to help yourself. And that's what Eliphaz goes on to in verse 5. Listen to him. He says, but now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. He's saying, you've done such a brilliant job, Job. Look at the people around you whose lives have been salvaged from ruin as you have brought the truth of God into their lives. Well, the very medicine that you've given to them, drink it. What's stopping you from doing the same? Eliphaz here uses two words. Uh, the first is that of being impatient, and the other is that of being dismayed, which when you notice what we read in, in chapter uh, 21, actually Job throws those words back into their faces. The lack of patience here is really referring to the fatigue that you experience when a trial has gone on for what you consider too long. And isn't that what causes 
the sense of giving up. We all experience some trials in our marriage from time to time, don't we? But it's when it's prolonged. You have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and it's only getting worse. That you begin to get impatient with God. You begin to ask the question, how long will this continue going on? We can pray for a child that's become stubborn and rebellious and perhaps like the prodigal son gone off to the far country. But in our praying, we are longing for an immediate answer to prayer that that child might learn the lesson quickly and, and come home. But it's when that continues and only gets worse. I gave the example of a business downturn. Again, you can have a buffer that you can rest back on. But when even that gets empty, and is that getting into worse debts, and there seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel, that you begin to despair. Or when you visit the doctors, times without number, and now it's going into years, that you begin to raise these questions about God. That's what the difficulty was with Job. Remember the amazing answer that he gave at the end of chapter 1. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We all go, wow! This is true godliness. Well, that was a bang, and he recovered from it. Now, it's failing health. And he's been sitting in those ashes, scraping those boils with, with broken pottery for a season that seems to know no end. And basically, he finally says, why was I even born? And he begins to come unstuck. It's this prolonged period that often causes this. There's a second, and it is hidden in that way, dismayed dismayed. But now it has come to you and you are impatient. It touches you and you are dismayed. That word refers to the shock you have because this has happened to you. Of all people. It's no longer the question, God, why have you allowed this? But God, why me? Why me? What have I done wrong? Have I lived a life of hidden wickedness? Have I been a hypocrite? Have I been living in sin? From what I can see, Lord, I have done my best to live a life of integrity. I've done what I could to raise my family the right way. I have sought to be a faithful husband, indeed a loving wife. Why should this be happening to me, Lord? Why me? Why me? 
the many times that tears have come not only from the eyes of the person I'm counseling, but from my own eyes too, has been when that question has come out. Especially because often I know I'm looking into the eyes of a dear saint. A dear saint. One whose godliness I admire. And I honestly wish that godliness was mine. And then in utter brokenness, that Christian is saying, Pastor, why me? That's the question that Job was clearly asking himself here. But you see, what Eliphaz is saying is to Job is, hang on, Job. Think of what you yourself have been teaching others. You've been teaching that God is sovereign. He does as he pleases with the powers of the heavens and the peoples of the earth. So how come you are now questioning him doing with you as he pleases? You are the same job that has taught the people, as you've counseled them, to trust in this all-wise God who never makes a mistake. Never. He is of infinite wisdom. He has woven together the tapestry of history and not one stitch has been out of place. And yet here you are now saying, why? Why didn't you do it this way? Why have you allowed this? Why me? You asked others to sit back and trust in the all-wise God. Job, do the same. Do the same. You have been teaching concerning the fact that God is good. He's merciful. He's loving. He's gracious. He doesn't act out of caprice or maliciousness. He doesn't do that. He's a good God. The way you're speaking now, is suggesting that he's some kind of monster that now just wants to rip apart those who are even his children. Job, think again. You've assured us in the depth of our own agony of God's goodness. Well, you better also rest in that goodness too. You, you have been teaching us in our times of difficulty that the God of heaven is a faithful God. Faithful to his covenants. And that's what we are in Christ. If we can use New Testament language, he has entered into covenant with us to safely bring our souls to glory, to give us, as it were, an abundance entry into his presence. Therefore, he has not turned his back against us as his children. He cannot do so. We can all become unfaithful to his covenant. God will never, ever become unfaithful because he cannot be unfaithful to himself. Well, Job, what has happened? 
The same truths when you were on the right side of the counseling table that you used to minister to the lives of God's children, to, to bind up their wounded souls. Well, Job, turn around and drink in the same medicine. Physician, heal yourself. When we jump into the New Testament, we even find a lot more that we can speak about in order to encourage the hearts of saints. I've already strayed into that area by speaking about Christ. It's inevitable. We have great and precious promises, says Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 through which we have this opportunity to, as it were, uh, participate in the divine nature. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians and chapter 4, truths that we ought to, to bask in. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. This is testimony that he is giving, his own testimony there. I begin reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Basically, all he's saying is that God in his infinite wisdom has placed his treasure in in pottery that is made of clay that easily breaks. And the reason why he has done that is so that as these vessels continue in the midst of being buffeted left and right and still continue on to the end, glorifying him, it's evident to everybody that this is not natural. This is God working in them. And so he uses a few situations. Listen to this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death, over and over and over again, for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And all he means by that last phrase is that we are undergoing this extreme suffering so that as you see our testimonies, you may come to appreciate this God and consequently your spiritual lives will flourish while we are under this extreme well, that's the Christian life. That's what's happening. As you continue in that furnace of affliction, those who know you, who know the details of your life, and still see you worshipping this God are shaking their heads, saying, how can it be? How? Because if I was in his shoes, I would have forsaken this God long ago. 
this God must be real. His grace must be real. Look at this. The unsearchable riches of Christ that we rejoice in keep us going. And that's the same message that Job needed to listen to for himself if he had been sitting in Crosspoint this morning about the unsearchable riches of Christ so that Job could simply rest in his dear Savior, knowing that he does all things well. Well, let's go on. Because Eliphaz makes his final appeal in his introductory message. And basically, he is saying to Job, Job, do not let go of your godliness and integrity. Don't! Because that's exactly what the evil one wants you to do. Don't do it. Listen to that last verse, verse 6 in our reading. Job 4 and verse 6. Is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? Now, this is not a tongue-in-cheek statement by Eliphaz. Rather, it is an appeal to Job's conscience that he should not throw away that which he ought to prize above all things, to prize even above his very life. Job, I know what's going on in your mind right now, because I've been there. The temptation to say it doesn't pay to be godly. Don't do it. Job, don't do it. Now, why is Eliphaz saying this? Well, we noticed from chapter 3 that Job was getting rather close to the age with the kind of questions he was beginning to ask. Those why questions that were beginning to suggest that a feeble worm of the earth may have more wisdom than the infinite creator of the universe the infinite governor of history, the infinite judge of the living and the dead. Eliphaz heard that. He noticed his friend is getting uncomfortably close to the edge, and he quickly cuts in and says, Job, don't. 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 Perhaps you need this caution today in your own situation as you begin to, to toy with that thought. As you begin to compare your life with that of those that perhaps have been living in compromise and sin. And apparently they've gotten away with it. The thought is eating away in the depth of your soul that maybe, just maybe, this Christianity may be false. Don't. Don't. 
don't. Because that's exactly where the evil one wants you to get. That's really where he wants you to get. In the midst of all this, he wants you to support his mutiny against God. Instead, let your fear of God be your confidence. Let the integrity of your ways be your hope. Again, getting back to Paul in Galatians this time, Galatians chapter 6. Just two verses there, verse 7 and verse 8. It's a, a point that we ought to engrave deeply upon our own souls. It says they do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And he goes on to say there, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The wind might be blowing against you in terms of frowning providences. God is in heaven. God is real. God sees. He knows everything. In the midst of all those trials, the wet pillow due to tears at midnight, he knows all those details more than any other human being on the planet. He cares. He loves you. Trust in him. Keep walking in integrity. In the midst of the trial, trust him. He knows what he is doing with infinite wisdom. As I said, as I hurry on to close, Eliphaz said a lot of unwise things later on in this book. But here, the man was right. 100% right. Sometimes I wish he had shut up after this. <laughs> but it's true that the dearest of saints in the midst of trials can sometimes convey a very wrong impression concerning God. Story is told of the great reformer Martin Luther that in the midst of the trials that he was going through, the persecution, the misbehavior of those who were among his flock, not listening to him, and his own very sensitive spirit with respect to his own sanctification, Luther went into a serious depression. At one time, they tried to help him by sending him away to get some period of rest and relaxation. It didn't help. And his wife, Kate, out of serious concern for her husband, one day shocked him out of his depression when she came into the room where he was seated, dressed in black and having dressed all her children in black. And when Luther saw that, he said to her, you're going for a funeral? And she said, yes, 
who has died? She said, God is dead. And that personality of Luther immediately like a um, thunder responded and said, no, he's not dead. And the wife said, well, the way you have been behaving of late, it's as though he is dead. And that's what shocked Luther out of that state of depression. We can easily function like atheists when philosophically we are genuine believers. And we need this kind of shock treatment that Eliphaz gave to Job at this point. We need to have friends like this who can look us in the face and speak truth to us. Friends who will say, these are the things you taught me. Remember, in my moment of need, come on, physician, heal yourself. Take the same medicine. It did a lot of good for me. It should be able to do the same for you. For those of us who are younger Christians, uh, something like this often comes as a surprise because we tend to look at the older Christians, more mature Christians, our pastors, our elders, especially because they help us. We tend to assume that theirs is uh, uh, the ending of a, a bedtime story. They, they married and lived happily ever after. <sighs> it's us down here who, who seem to, to, to have uh, our problems, and consequently, we are constantly running to them. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Part of spiritual maturity is this furnace. This furnace, what they have been through, and some of them, what they are going through even now, you would not want to wish it on yourself, even on your worst day on earth. They are not superheroes who are simply flying over all the turbulence of life. No, there's only one superhero, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the only one who, in the midst of the tempest of life, nothing shakes him. With Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm. So all of us, we need this medicine of the unsearchable riches of Christ. We need Christ because he alone is the superhero. He is the savior. He is the sustainer. He is the sanctifier. And finally, he is the one who takes us to glory. So, do not remove any Saint from your prayer list. Not even the ones that are mature and they are the ones you look up to. We all need Christ. And if you are one of those who even now, you are in the furnace of affliction, remember Christ. Remember Christ. My last reading is actually pointing to Christ, Hebrews 12. And with that, I must close. Hebrews 12, an appeal to look to Christ. Therefore, Hebrews 12, verse 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight 
and sin that clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the rest that is set before us or marked out for us, no doubt by God. How should we do it? Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is our example. Listen to this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Because in your case, verse 4, your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Let's look to Christ. Let's drink in Christ. Let's meditate upon Christ. Let's look up to Christ. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. And as the hymn says, Oh, what needless pain we bear because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. May we all be helped to do just that. To take our all to Christ. To lay it down at the foot of the cross. In the midst of our tears. Knowing he does all things well. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, in one sense we thank you for the example of Job because we see so much of ourselves in him. And at the same time we would not wish what happened to him to happen to anyone whom we love, including ourselves. Yet, Lord, you have so woven history that in any congregation this large, there will be individuals who answer to this description, who are perplexed because of unceasing trials. Lord, have mercy. Strengthen their faith that they may not allow unbelief to reign in their souls. May it be that those words of counsel that they have often given to others may come with freshness today upon their own souls. Oh Lord, you know the hearts of each individual in here. Carrying pain, lacking peace. We join them in crying out to you for relief. Until then, Lord, sustain them by your almighty grace that it may be evident to all concerning the treasure that you have deposited in cracked pots. 
that all may see that this is your glory. It cannot be human. Glorify yourself, Lord, we pray, through all this. In Jesus' name, amen.